Hi everybody, it's Jeff Borman and myself, my name is Matt Brown. Over the last couple of years, there have been dozens of obits, elegies, and analyses of the hotel mini bar. Where did it go? Oh, the golden age, can we ever bring it back? It was once the ultimate hotel perk. It was the symbol of a boozier, jet setier time. And it was this ultimate convenience for an ultimate price, a ridiculous price. <laughs> and I think that's the the thing that most people think of these days when they when they think of the mini bar is how outrageous the prices are. And hotels obviously have bars downstairs, so it's way easier for them as the years have gone on to just outsource the work to you to go down and pick something up at the bar, food and drink, and then bring it back up to the room or do room service for the hotels that still have that. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. But I think there's still powerful draws connected to indulgence and discovery and impulse. And I think the mini bar can still feed those things. Those, those things aren't always bad. They're bad a lot of the times, but but there are times when indulgence and impulse are, are pretty good. You know, my wife, Amanda and I, we stayed in this beautiful hotel in Portugal and we were up on top of this mountain overlooking the town and it's beautiful, but you're kind of up there. There's no walking down to the bodega uh, at, at the bottom of the mountain. It's 800 steps to the bottom of the mountain and a, and a full 15 minute drive. So the first night uh, that we were there, we, get, we were just so zonked from travel. We just stayed in the room and watched rom-coms on Portuguese cable. I think it was my best friend's wedding and, and letters to Juliet. Uh, and we wanted snacks and wine and the mini bar was empty. You know, we had our pajamas on window open, having, you know, having fun in the room. You know, we went down to the bar. They were very nice, but you know, we waited, we brought the thing back up. He, he, he did a wonderful presentation for us to bring back up. But I think we were both thinking, boy, the mini bar had been stocked and the prices were hotel prices. You'd pay downstairs at the little snack counter of the bar. We would have cleaned it out. We, we would have like we would have been way more incentivized to just stay in the room, see what they had in there, and just eat all the stuff and drink all of it. And it's a similar situation when we're road tripping. You know, we'll land at a courtyard or a Best Western when we're out in Utah or California. Everything's closed around us. I think we clean it out. So you know, all that's to say, it feels like the the death of the mini bar. It does feel a little bit like money's being left on the table. It feels like there's still an audience for it. But you know. Today, ultimately, mini bars have become empty refrigerators. So, Jeff, what happened? Economics. Okay, that's our episode. Thanks, everybody. Economics. I thought our episode stopped uh, right when you mentioned that you went all the way to Portugal and you watched my best friend's wedding. And yeah. Pajamas. Oh, it's the best. The closer, right? It's there. the best. I love it. I love wasting time in a hotel room. At late at night in a in a foreign country, it's it's just the ultimate luxury. I love it. Economics. Why do you say economics? Uh, well, let's break down the cost, right? So uh, you're right. You mentioned paying nine dollars for a four ounce serving of an airplane mini at JD, uh, and, and it seems like the hotel has to be pocketing a ton of that cash, right? It always feels like a slap in the face, <laughs> like whenever you open it. And, and most people encounter this with the water on top of the fridge or on top of the mini bar. That's typically the first thing you see water. You see a pack of M&Ms, the omnipresent Toblerone. It's always there. That, those guys, whoever that marketing person was, who partnership person who got that deal going. Oh, man. It's the distribution guy from Toblerone. Oh, where's that story? Where's that profile? You know, let, let, let's let's bring that back. Let's let's run that back in an episode later this summer or spring or something. Uh, how Toblerone has made 
an entire candy business out of mini bars and duty free stores. I don't For know. sure. You can't find them anywhere else and they fly off the shelf. All right. Anyway, back to mini bars here. You're right. Uh, uh, nine bucks for four ounces of well-grade hooch seems exorbitant. Uh, and the product cost, I think people are probably pretty familiar. It's probably 25, maybe 30% of the cost that you receive uh, when you yank that thing out and slam it back. Uh, it's the labor that kills the model. Uh, I mean, there's capital expense because you've got to you know, you got to buy a refrigerator for every room, and there's power to the fridge, and uh, there's product storage somewhere out there with inventory management in some dry storage unit in uh, in the hotel, and all those costs come at pretty large scale, uh, but the sales themselves are actually really small. Every night in a hotel, mini bars need to be stocked, and for every hundred rooms that are stocked, maybe two or three actually make a sale. So uh, it's really cumbersome. It's inefficient. It's all about the labor. For mini bars, it's more about the tracking of sales where it becomes cumbersome. So uh, t- just to get the charge on the folio, right? I mean, at least as far as we know, any other than Aaron Andrews' room, there really aren't cameras in guest rooms. So knowing that somebody took something out of the mini bar and making sure that appears on your folio, that's kind of the cumbersome part. It's a ton of mini uh, mini tasks for a bag of M&Ms. For every 100 rooms in a hotel, you've probably got one full-time employee just walking the floor every day, looking into all the mini bars to count what's missing, checking the inventory inside of hundreds of rooms, highly labor-intensive, small margin on the sale by the time that's done, and guests get annoyed too. Let's not forget that. I mean, if you work from a hotel room and all day long, it's knock-knock, it's housekeeping, knock-knock, mini bar check, knock-knock, hey, room service, it adds up also. So we have the economic part of it. Does that drive guests to the hotel bar or do people just bring their own hooch and snacks? Luxury hotels definitely don't want the Griswolds rolling a cooler through the lobby. I can't tell you how many coolers I roll through lobbies. It's I hope you did bananas. that in <laughs> We came close. Trust me. Actually, trust if me. you had, you wouldn't have told your story. <laughs> in my opinion, guests generally behave to the quality of the hotel. People at a night's in will arrive with what they need for the evening. Uh, I stay at roadside motels all the time, drive around the country. I don't mind them at all. I stayed in the best luxury hotels, stayed in the worst hotels, roach motels in America. And I think my behavior, and I think most people are like this, changes to where you're staying. I'll pick up a six pack from a local brewery at a roadside motel and take it in the room and watch a ball game. Uh, but if I'm going to the Lauberge, uh, forget it. Part of the experience of being there is the service and the ambiance that you get at those really exclusive hotels. Uh, part of the attraction of spending $1,000 a night in a hotel room is that you get access to all the services and amenities in one of the coolest designed bars and one of the best design, you know, uh, trained mixologists in the world. So right. I think right. it's more people behave to the environment. Well, you know, in addition to all this, you've got, I think, the kind of the bane of, of many bars, which is the... And the idea of, you know, hotels are always having to kind of deal with theft. And uh, I think what's the phrase? You, you've mentioned this phrase to me before, drink and deny. <laughs> oh, no, that was open when I got here. Or, oh, no, somebody else must have cleaned this out. The staff must have screwed this up. And it's very easy for it to be a, a, a finger pointing situation when people don't want to pay their bills. The Everything that has ever gone missing in any hotel room, it's always the housekeeper. No, you know, there's no upside or a recourse in calling a guest a liar and, so, and no hotel is going to go 
do that over a few ounces of missing gin. It, but it's also really rare that people just blatantly steal and, and lie directly to the hotel. Uh, speaking of the Mayflower, when I was there working at the front desk, it was the same time that we went through the transition to automatic checkout, paperless bills. And there was a real concern. I mean, uh, throughout the company concern that if somebody did not come down, review their folio, sign the paper acknowledging the statement that people would call back, call their credit card companies and say, that wasn't me. You can't prove it. The, the test cases showed immediately and come bring this all back to labor. All the labor saved by not having to review every single folio with every single guest was made up for on the, by far, in cost savings on that end from the very rare guest who uh, disputed the whole bill or so, or even a meaningful portion of the bill. Right. I'm sure those minutes that rack up doing that, just it, they become hours. <laughs> they become hours and days when somebody actually takes the time to kind of piece together how much all these little micro labors take. You know, it's also better, you're better off rebating a couple nights stay uh, if it saved you several full-time employees during that entire time. Right. Kind of talking about in-room dining too. You know, in-room dining has more or less disappeared. I mean, you still get room service certainly here and there. There was a time when room service was well, synonymous for uh, luxury travel. You know, it was shorthand for it. I mean, romantic fantasies, rom-coms, <laughs> like the ones I watch in foreign countries. Uh, and throughout the tour for 70 years, room service, um, the luxury of it, the intimacy of it, uh, this this kind of sense of attainable privilege and exoticism that was that was in all these movies about couples heading off to some hotel and living off room service. It was like in the movie Tombstone, for, for of all things, of like what they're going to do when they leave Tombstone and travel to San Francisco and Denver and all these places. And actually, we probably need to fact check that movie. I don't even, did uh, did room service actually exist in like eighteen ninety? Yeah, I don't I don't think it did. Uh, Hilton claims to have pioneered the concept in the sixties. I think what really happened was the Waldorf Astoria, also a Hilton, but not at the time they invented in-room dining. Uh, Waldorf Astoria is credited for inventing the in-room dining experience. Uh, Hilton then later bought it, bought the Waldorf and, and expanded that into a real program uh, across hotels. Uh, but the Waldorf was a game changer in luxury hotels in just about every way in the 1930s, uh, reconceptualizing the exclusivity that posh celebrities would come to expect elsewhere in the industry. Uh, so when heads of states and entertainers wanted privacy, uh, the Waldorf Astoria offered the ultimate in personalized service by dining in your own suite and room service was born. Uh, if you didn't want to be down Peacock Alley and you didn't want all the, the, you know, the New York riffraff to walk by and peek in and try to uh, you know, take a whatever the 1930s version of a selfie would be, uh, then if you really wanted that exclusivity, the Waldorf offered, go up to your suite. We'll give you the same experience that you could have in the restaurant privately. Sign me up. We got to do an episode on the Waldorf Astoria. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, you could you could do a season just on that hotel. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It changed the world of hospitality in, in a million kind of ways. What else? What else kind of pulls back in room dining? From a cost perspective, the reason you saw it and then now you don't so much, kitchens had to stay open and staffed all night long waiting for that one late night order of poutine by stoned kids with the munchies at 3 a.m. And uh, there's not much of a model in just waiting for that to happen. Uh, 
the cost of running an entire kitchen uh, with 25 menu items. Um, you have to have at least one cook ready, one server to run up and down uh, you know, uh, elevators. There was a study done by Priceonomics eight or nine years ago that when the New York Hilton closed its in-room dining, uh, and replaced it with a grab and go out of the lobby. They cut fifty five positions. Ah, oh, that sucks. That, that seems pretty extreme to me. Uh, but the fact that they could even get to proving some number close to that is remarkable. Uh, so interim dining it's terribly inefficient. Uh, in a restaurant, you know, a server makes a short trip uh, to a table of three or four people, right? Kitchen to table, and you get you know at least. Two people in most cases, three, four, five, six. For room service, the same server, if you will, goes an incredibly long time from that kitchen, wheeling over every single thing they need in the restaurant, packaging it up, taking it up a flight of you know, escalator or elevators, wherever they got to go, and also typically only to serve one person. Uh, so the order size, the average checks generally tend to be pretty small uh, as the labor escalates. Uh, and generally, the capture rates are way lower. Right? Guests have other ways to get a Coke or a sandwich. Uh, and so the costs in, increase uh, dramatically. And then people like you were talking in the beginning, you open up your room service menu and think, wait a minute, I can go downstairs and get a hamburger for 20 bucks. But if I order it to my room, it costs 40 Right. I'm sure there's a bit of wear and tear in the room, too. Because not only do you serve the person in the room, but then you got to send somebody back up to clean it up. And then the room itself, I mean, messy people, messy kids, you got ketchup everywhere. You've now, you've now introduced all these other substances into the room <laughs> that uh, that the house cleaning staff has to deal with uh, the next day, which I'm sure, again, it's another one of these things that adds an, uh, an extra five minutes on to a task, which is already time constrained. What do you think? you know, the future of in-room dining is going to be because, you know, anybody with a phone and GPS is turned on a Grubhub app basically has room service now from any restaurant, uh, you know, within 10 miles of the hotel. What's this going to look like in 10 years? Whether it's Uber Eats or Tomato or Drizzly for booze, the immediate difference is the deliver- the delivery to the actual hotel room, right? That doesn't happen with other services. And it's a security thing. So I don't really think anybody should want that to change. So you have to go pick it up in a lobby. And really, I think that's going to be a critical point in thinking through that's not service, right? That's not in-room dining. A DoorDash brown bag with a plastic pre-wrapped utensil is a pretty big downgrade from having a white-gloved waiter roll in a heated cart, setting your personal table and theatrically lifting a silver cloche to unveil a plate beautifully prepared by the hotel chef. Very, very different. You know, uh, uh, as big an enemy, maybe a bigger enemy um, than all these economics is just the very idea of how choice has changed. You know, I think 40 years ago, Consumers open them up the fridge uh, of the mini bar or they open up the menu for room service and you've got a pretty set number of products to choose from. It's Coke or Pepsi, Michelob, Jack Daniels, bottle of red, bottle of white. Now people just don't consume that way. I like my beer of choice. I like my potato chip of choice. I don't want all of this corporate shit. (laughs) I want... The healthy brand that I like, I can't do salt, I can't do sugar, and on and on and on and on. I think that's really difficult to shove all of that into a a dorm room fridge. 
especially in lower tiered brands, uh, I think the delivery options that are ubiquitous, travelers into those brands, this is a fantastic step and partnership for the hotel and the guest and the delivery service. Everybody wins, right? Hampton Inn does not need to be doing room service. Not a part of why people stay there. And for $150 a night, you're not getting it. And everybody thinks that's a good, that works. On the luxury end of things, though, a luxury hotel kind of makes a promise that says, if you want a hot fudge Sunday at 3 a.m., that's why you stay here. We say, yes, we can do that. And so I think the future is either kill it or go bigger, right? The best luxury hotels, instead of doing a mini bar, you know, quote unquote, fully stocked, right? Instead of doing that, you got to go highest end whiskey, full bottles, max prices, not three ounce shots of Jack Daniels. Right, craft. Uh, you mentioned you like this style of beer. You, if you put a Bud Light in the mini bar of a Ritz Carlton, that's not that customer. But if you pack that bar with local craft beer, you're probably going to hit that audience right where they want. You'll sell stuff. Uh, so it's not just about opening up a little beverage center. Creative hotels are offering their own mixologists signature, signature martini, complete with the recipe the exact pre-portioned ingredients on a beautifully arranged tray in a room for spending $1,800 a night. I think it's going to see a polarization. And for the environmentally conscious, room service, Who, if you're comparing, uh, do I do Grubhub or do I want in-room dining? In-room dining is going to be a greener way than ordering through delivery apps. There's the obvious lack of fuel and driving required to get the food from uh, you know, a far-off kitchen to you. Uh, there's disposable single-use product waste that can be avoided by using what the hotel provides and cleans just like they do in the restaurant. So I think those negative impacts, that will uh, appeal to some, but it's probably not something that really the industry's put much focus on is making a green choice by ordering room service. That Right now, when I think we're inventing a tagline, they're pretty far from that reality. You know, Robert Mendelbaum of PKF, I like the way he said it in an article years ago. Room service is like a hotel pool. 90% say they want it, 10% actually use it. Less than 1% of hotel revenues come from in-room dining. 10 years ago, when it was commonly offered, it wasn't really that different. Uh, but as the hotel world has moved through these phases where luxury and full-service hotels became really hard to differentiate for a while, and now we're moving into a new space again, COVID did this, where luxury prices are through the roof, but the services and the differentiation is also returning to luxury. Uh, I think you're going to see that happen within in-room dining, just like it has the rest of the hotel. I agree. You know, kind of boutique type hotels in, in big cities, like the, there's the Wythe Hotel here in Brooklyn, and it's the, the, the mini bar there is like this Mad Men dream with the really nice layout and a top shelf selection. And you're in the mood to spend money because the presentation of it in-room is really nice. It's also like the idea of going hyper-local. If you go to like a boutique or smaller place in say Ann Arbor, you open up the, the, the mini bar and it's Michigan beer, it's uh, Werner's ginger ale, it's Michigan snacks. And while here, sample the local flavor right from your own room. And maybe they can even cut some kind of marketing deal with the vendors. And you make the locality a marketing pitch. And I'm trying to determine whether or not making it local helps or hurts with the cost factor which is the final interlocking blow to all of this because a $14 Heineken just pushes people out of the room. 
I don't know. Is there a way that hotels could throw that in as a loss leader? I guess there's not enough incentive for them to do that. But is there any world in which they could say, hey, here's a, we actually have a great mini bar. You should pick us over the other, you know, five hotels you're looking at, which are all within $10 price range. And uh, hey, we've got this mini bar. We have this great mini bar, and our mini bar won't break the bank. And you should come stay with us because of that. I wonder if that there's any possibility for that to work. You ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Mm-hmm. There's sure. a great one in one where Larry David says, "If you don't have the vision to know how amazing a wasabi pea would be in a mini bar, I really don't want anything to do with you." Totally. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe these are maybe these are flights of fancy here, but I think. I think I'm going to let I'm going to coast with my nostalgia a little bit more with the mini bar and kind of see where it goes. And I want to try one of these fancy hotels. In fact, we're going to, um, as always, every week, I give uh, Jeff a mystery question uh, related to travel, hospitality, hotels. Jeff, this week, what product would you personally demand in every mini bar of every hotel that you ever stay in? Hendricks Gym. Wow, you went to that really fast. I do. Absolutely. It's the one thing that I can promise you. I'd walk in the room, whether it's business travel, personal travel. The way I like to transition my day is a gin and tonic. Would you bring your own tonic or would tonic be part of this as well? No, but but really it's the Hendrix. It's the tough part. You know. Okay. I like the idea of you demanding Hendrix gin, but you come in with a cooler just loaded with tonic. <laughs> Sorry. I have two bags with me. One's with clothes. No, um, can, is straight up tonic. You keep the lime. Uh, it it kind of ruins the drink to me. Uh, if it's a, you know, if you're really going to get fancy, you could pre-slice a little uh, baby cucumber. I, I wouldn't mind that. No, Hendrix Gin, Matt. That's it. I love it. I might go have one of those right now. 